Again, this is Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. Really, we're going to be wrapping it up in the next couple of weeks. Chapter 7 of Matthew here is, is where the, the teaching, there's a few more topics left, and then that'll be the end of the series. But uh, So here we go. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces." So that's the passage we'll be looking at. So we're going to try to uh, just look at a couple facets. I put um, uh, the text we're reading from here is the New, uh, New International Version, 1984. Um, it's one of my personal favorites. It, it has a balance of readability and yet uh, some clarity in, in being literal. And, um, and so I hope that many of us have our own preferences of versions of the Bible you like to read. I hope no one will judge me for NIV 1984 because, um, well, we're going to read about that. But anyways, uh, we're going to go ahead and just start with really the first, the first verse here. Do not judge or you too will be judged. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? Anyone? How many of you have ever used that verse before? Right? Use that in marriage all the time. You know, do not ju- you know. Um, no, just joking. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I got to watch what I say here this morning. Um, but, you know, it's, it's interesting that this is possibly one of the most often quoted verses from the Bible by people who do not fully understand the Bible or don't, do not understand what Jesus was getting at. I know for myself, back when I was in college, I was brought up in a Bible-believing home. Uh, we went to church on Sundays and Wednesdays, and, and I did all of that because my parents required me to. But, uh, you know, when I got to college, I kind of wanted to do my own thing. But I, I, I would pick and choose from different religions. You know, I like the idea, one of the things I loved from Jesus in the Bible was this verse right here. Do not judge me, or, or I'm going to judge you. You know, I'm sure is how I paraphrased it. Um, and then other things, you know, reincarnation. Well, that's great. It gives you another chance in case you blow it in this life. And I love to just kind of pick and choose. And, and this was a verse that I, that I used, and I used it often. I know many people are like, do not judge me lest you be judged. You know, that's, it's not uncommon for people to, to use that. But I think in the Bible, when you're trying to understand what's in the Bible, uh, there's a few rules of thumb that you must apply anytime you're trying to understand something. And, you know, one is... Um, Understand the context where you're reading. You know, this verse, do not judge, it's in a whole passage where Jesus, he has some things he's trying to get, he's trying to get at. He's not just saying there's a blanket statement that prohibits judging uh, for the rest of your life and forever. Um, it's, it's a part of a teaching, and we have to take it in the context. You also have to understand what's the intent of the person who's speaking, uh, of the author of this, you know. And so we're going to take a look at some of that. Sometimes it's good to understand, okay, here's what this one verse says or this one passage, but what does the rest of the Bible teach on this subject? And you look at the context throughout the Bible on that subject. 
Sometimes you look at the first occurrence of a subject because it kind of introduces, oh, here's, here's the first time it was used and, and here's how that relates to the rest of the times. Um, sometimes it's good to uh, understand some definitions and, and we're going to look at some definitions related to this subject this morning here. But those are just a few things that are, that are good when it relates to judging others. It relates to any topic that someone's pulling out of the Bible. Make sure you understand the context, the intent, uh, other references, definitions. Um, We'll look at a few definitions as it relates to judge. Um, obviously, there's a lot of different, you know, there's judge as a noun, like someone who resides in a courtroom and uh, makes judgments. This one is a, a verb tense here, and it's, uh, it has some things that are going to relate to the, what Jesus was getting at here. But one is to pass judgment on a cause. I like the second one here a little better from Webster's. Um, make a critical determination. Be critical about something. Make a critical determination. Estimate the value or magnitude of anything. That's, that is a, a type of judging we're going to be talking about. Another thing we have to watch for in this is being judgmental. Uh, an adjective that I like the way this one put it is having or displaying an excessively critical point of view. Being judgmental, an excessively critical point of view. And then another uh, word here, just judgment. Um, some of you might know like a judge would pronounce a judgment or things like that but another thing about like having good judgment is the idea of the ability to make accurate determinations it relates to discernment discerning between good and bad and things like that and so these are three definitions we want to be thinking about as we look at this passage here but um, anyways let's get back to this um, did you know that there's places in the Bible so Jesus says do not judge but there's other places in the Bible that says you should judge. There's things you should judge between and things you should um, have discernment relating to good and bad. And um, so sometimes people just think, well, you're never supposed to judge, you know. But actually there is a time to judge and there's a time to not judge. Just um, look at a few uh, examples of times that we should not judge. Maybe those are more clear. One, um, one area we should not judge is people's motives. Only God knows the true motives of people's hearts, and sometimes we want to place a judgment of what we think their motives were. Um, we're not to judge by appearance. We see the outward appearance of, of men and women. God sees the heart. Again, real similar there. Um, we're, uh, there are some matters in the Bible that there's debatable positions to have. Romans 14 talks about some people can eat meat and some can't, and there's things that are debatable. And it says that we are not to judge someone on those issues that has a different stance than us. Some might be a vegetarian. You're not to judge them if they don't eat meat. Some might uh, drink alcohol, and we're not to judge if they have a different stance. And there's some things that have, uh, they have some gray areas, some debatable matters there. And it's very clear in that Romans chapter 14, we're not to judge people who have a different stance on some of those things. Um, some, uh, another area to not judge is just, Christian, uh, not judge the service of another Christian. Paul says, hey, uh, you know, I'm doing this, here's my motivations, but we're not to judge. In this 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about not judging uh, the work of another believer. Um, another one, we're not to judge a believer by speaking evil about him. James chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 talks about not passing judgment in our speech about others. Um, and so, you know, another... Uh, one Bible commentator put a list of, of ways that, so it says do not judge, we get that, but there's 
some ways we have to watch as well. Um, we break this command. This is what um, David Gusick says here. I like his thoughts. Um, we break this command when we think the worst of others. It's a form of judgment. We break this command when we speak only uh, to the faults of others. We break this command when we judge an entire life by, by only its worst moments. We break this command when we judge the hidden motives of others, which we talked about. We break this command when we judge others without considering ourselves in their same circumstances. And we break this command when we judge others without being mindful that we ourselves will be judged. There's ways that we might violate that. Now, uh, another list we're just going to look at real quick is ways that we're actually called to have some judgments about things here. Um, one of them, uh, Paul gives instructions in 1 Corinthians 6 that he just says, sometimes there's issues between believers, and he says, why not bring a mature believer in and let them make a judgment about your situation instead of taking it to the, uh, the pagan courts and things that they were doing at the time. He's saying, let someone who's mature weigh in and place a judgment on, on how this should play out, whether it's right or wrong. Another place, uh, several places, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18, and it's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, but there's a time when a church needs to make uh, a judgment call when there's serious sin going on in, in its community, and they have to make a judgment call. There's a place where it says if someone's a, if someone's a, a greedy or a swindler or a given to drunkenness or uh, someone who's given to sexual sin, like a predator type of thing, there's times where you have to go, hey, we love Jesus, we want to follow him, we're not perfect, but you're going to have to choose on, on this one between your sin and this family. And it's a... It's a judgment call there, and it, it's a place where you have to discern, and pastors are given a responsibility to go, you know, uh, this situation needs to be dealt with. And you're not condemning anyone eternally and sentencing, sentencing them to hell or anything, but as a, there's a safety issue as a, as a church that we have to think about. Other times um, we have to judge, believers are to judge doctrinal teaching of, of teachers and preachers when there's false doctrine being taught. And we have to go, you know what, that's not... That's not what the Bible says about Jesus and, and faith in Jesus and through grace alone and faith alone. And they're throwing in other things, um, other books that weren't included in the Bible or things like that. We have to judge, you know, what is doctrinally sound. We have to discern. Sometimes we have to discern if another person is a believer or not. Because the scriptures, Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with, with an unbeliever, someone who doesn't share your same values and doesn't have the same lordship as you do. And we have to discern about that. Sometimes we have to, um, there's qualifications for being a pastor or an elder. And it says, here's the standard. First Timothy chapter 3 says, here's what the character qualifications of a pastor need to be. And we need to compare. Does this person have those or not? You know, and some of you have heard we're in the process of, of evaluating Drew Mahali here in his life and character as it relates to the standard for serving as a pastor. And so you have to be able to compare. Well, here's what it says, and here's what this person's life is like, and, and do they match up? And, and there's uh, discernment that's needed on that, or a, a judgment. And so um, also there's other places where it talks about relating to people who are weak or faint-hearted or unruly, and there's instructions on how to deal with them, 1 Thessalonians 5. But anyways, the point is there, there's a time to judge, and, and there's a way to discern things. But really, I... I think the heart, the big idea behind this passage from Jesus, I, I think is really captured in this idea here, this phrase. Don't be judgmental, yet don't throw out good judgment. 
We don't want to be judgmental. We don't want to be overly critical. And yet it's very clear the scripture calls for good judgment. And, and Clementine would agree with that as well, right? Uh, so don't be judgmental, but don't throw out good judgment. I think a positive way to say that is um, have good judgment without being judgmental. And so we'll keep rolling here. Um, the, and here's kind of a reason why. Verse 2 kind of gives us some reasons. Well, why, why should you not be judgmental or, or have bad judgment or things like that? Um, it says this in, in verse 2, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so um, this, this idea is communicated. Uh, so the point I would draw out of this verse is just use the measure that you want used on you. If you want people being real strict and critical of you, just make sure you treat others that way, and God will work it out for you. If you would like people to be gracious or merciful, then that's a standard you ought to think about as you relate to others. But use, simply use the measure that you want to use with you. You might decide how you want that to play out, but that's, that's really what Jesus prescribes here on this subject. Um, this idea of, of this measure, uh, you know, Jesus uses this three times in the Gospels, talking about the measure that you use will affect how things are measured to you. He uses it once when it comes to um, Mark chapter 4, 24. He talks about how when you understand God's word and you apply it to your life, God will give you more understanding. He'll measure, you know, if you have a good measure of understanding, you'll be given even more. And those who don't apply what they know, it says even what you do understand will be taken away from you. And, you know, something to think about that measure. Another place he talks about giving. When you give generously you'll be given to generously. And this is in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. It talks about just your measure of giving will affect how God gives to you. And then this one is the instance of judging. The measure you use will be measured back to you. So three different uses of the same, uh, same phrase. Um, two ways to, to think about measuring judgment. You know, uh, I was reading one Bible commentary that was just talked about how back in Jesus' days, some of the, the rabbis had this understanding of the way that God judges people, and, and there was two different measures they thought of at that time, and one was a measure of justice. You measure people justice. You give them what they deserve. They do this, well, then they deserve this treatment. The other form of measure was a measure with mercy. You treat people mercifully, uh, which means to say that you don't treat them as they deserve. It's the same as grace. You treat them better than they deserve, and so... Um, but there's two ways that you and I generally lean towards when it comes to judging others and, and measuring things in others' lives. One is with a sense of, boy, you know, they did this, and I'm going to lay down the law with them because, you know, that's what they did. This is how I need to relate to them. Or there's this way of being gracious. And, and again, we have to decide which one um, we'd have done to us. You know, I think in just a few verses after this passage, Jesus says, do to others what you would have them do to you. And so... Um, you know, really, that's uh, something to think about. How, how do you relate to others? Are you strict? Are you stingy? Are you thinking they deserve justice? Or, or do you treat people graciously, mercifully, compassionately, trying to understand what it's like in their shoes for that situation? And I know for me, this is an area that uh, I think God's been teaching me on. I think a couple different ways that this shows up. For me, two ways that this comes to light in my life. One is in marriage. What standard am I using on my wife? And, and two is in parenting. How am I relating to my kids? You know, this weekend we sent uh, our wives, a number of them went up to the Beth Moore conference here, 
and it left a number of dads stranded with these little creatures running around who call them dad, and they're wondering, why do you call me dad, you know? Um, but um, for me, I, I found anytime my wife is gone, you know, I, I'm a fairly capable guy. I know how to keep the kids alive, I know. But somehow, whenever my wife's gone, I just feel this, this stress and this burden. And so when I'm interacting with my kids, trying to direct them into things, when I'm making lunch, whatever it is, I can find myself being, uh, you know, hey, you, you didn't obey me there, and I'm going to lay down the law with you. And, and uh, you know, I can get really strict, and I can get frustrated. And this is just, this is just hypothetically, right? I'm just talking theoretically. <laughs> Not that it happened this weekend. But, um, um, but I found myself, uh, even this weekend after lunch, just going, I circled all my kids up, and then I, I realized I had been frustrated with them, and I had been measuring judgments in a way that they deserved by my estimation. And yet, I, as I was thinking and praying, I always go to God as my Father, and God, be gracious to me, be merciful to me. But I, I sometimes find that it's hard for me to have that same measure, you know, with my kids. And so I had to sit them all down and seek forgiveness from each one of them, some different situations where I was frustrated and impatient and, and measuring to them in a way that I don't want to be measured. And, you know, it's hard. And um, as a dad, I'm still learning that. I'm starting to realize that a lot of times on the weekends, Saturday is like a, a full-on work day for me usually, preparing for teachings and getting ready. And so a lot of times I sign up to watch the kids and, and do things on the weekends when I already have a, a full plate. And then I start to realize that the things that my wife brings to keeping these five wildcats, you know, all together and, and um, you know, safe and all that. There's, there's a lot that goes into that. And I usually sign up for it and go, ah, this is no problem. You know, but I don't multitask that well. And you bring 100% of this one plate together with 100% of this other and put 200% on my, and I, I just, it's really challenging. I don't know, Dad's going to get an amen out there. You guys had an easier time than I did. Invite some friends to join you if you, you know, no. Um, but anyways, you know, in marriage can be the same way. Sometimes there can be, hypothetically speaking again, we can have a conflict, again, hypothetically. This might have happened last year um, or last week. But, uh, you know, and, and I'll go and we'll have something that will happen. We'll not see eye to eye or an argument. And, and I'll go and pray. And I'll just be like, Lord, you know, I can't believe she did that to me. And, oh, you know, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll kind of want him to engage his justice on her. Lord, you saw that. Now, now justice is deserved, you know. And then I'll review my side of the thing, and I'll be like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, Lord. You know, please be merciful to me on that. And, uh, and eventually, after I take some time to pray through a situation, I always come to this place of like, oh, what do you want here, Rich? You want mercy, or do you want justice? Because, you know, I can give your wife justice, and I'll give you a good dose of it, too. Or, or I can give some mercy here, and I'll give you that, too. And, and usually... Uh, the Lord walks me off the ledge of justice, and I go back to wanting grace and, and realizing i got to relate to my wife with grace. And, um, but, you know, all this, I think, boils down to one of the greatest lessons for me in this passage is, is what do you want to be measured in your life? Do you want God to measure graciously with you, or do you want him to, to bring the hammer down and bring the law onto you? And, um, because he, he'll adjust accordingly, you know. And the reality, the beauty of the gospel is that uh, Jesus, Jesus fulfilled both. God is a God of justice, and where, where the law is broken, there must be punishment, there must be consequences. And yet God is a God of love and grace. And in Jesus, Jesus took our punishment. He took all the justice that I deserved and that you deserve. In exchange, he's given us his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. And uh, it's just we, we need to remember that as we relate to others and be careful of relating 
with measuring justice to people when we want mercy. So, anyways, uh, he goes on to talk some specifics about this. We're just going to look at this next passage here just briefly. Um, but he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Um, you know, the point I just want to put here, besides uh, you know, having judgmental attitudes and, and watching how we measure things, we have to watch out for self-blind criticism is the phrase. Um, self-blind criticism, where we can be critical of something in others, but we're blind to that very same theme in our own lives. And we have to watch out for that. And, um, you know, I've heard this phrase before, and maybe you can uh, explore it and see if it's true or not, but sometimes we hate our sin the most when we see it in someone else. You know, they, there's something that we just, we see when they do that, we just get fed up, but then in our own lives, we go, ah, we're real gracious with ourselves about that in our own lives, but we see it real clearly in how someone else needs to change in their life. And, and it's, a, I think, a natural tendency of fallen human beings here, but we've got to watch out for that. Um, you know, I think of some different examples of a, a plank versus a speck. Uh, remember the story of David after he had committed adultery and had Uriah murdered. This prophet comes to him and tells him this story about a guy who, you know, took another guy's lamb and, and they cooked it up for his visitors and stuff like that. And David was irate. And he thought the guy that sacrificed this poor man's lamb, that he should be dealt with harshly. And he just, he just told Nathan, I can't believe that. Where is he? Let's go kill this guy. And then Nathan goes on to say, you know, by the way, that's it's kind of what you've done here. You did this with the man's wife, and you killed the man, and, and you want to be real harsh with him, but you're blind to the bigger thing that you committed. He had a huge plank in his eye, and yet he wanted to bring the smack down on this guy who, I mean, this theoretical guy. And so sometimes the Pharisees, I think of their examples of this as well, the Pharisees were really, they had a bone to pick with Jesus. One of the biggest things they had with him was that, you know, they knew the Ten Commandments, and it was the right thing to do is to not work on the Sabbath. And somehow they translated that Jesus should not be doing miracles on the Sabbath. And time and time again, he explained, hey guys, I'm the one that wrote these laws in the first place, and really not working on the Sabbath doesn't mean you can't do good on the Sabbath. And, um, but they were so mad that he would heal on the Sabbath that what did they want to do? They wanted to kill him. It's so, I'm just like, it just catches me off guard every time I read that, that, that Jesus didn't honor the Sabbath in their eyes, and the next verse says, and they plotted on how to kill them. I mean, how, how blind is that? You're talking about holding up this righteous standard, and this little facet that they were actually wrong on, and yet they, they wanted to murder someone who was innocent. And, and sometimes we can have things like that in our own lives. And we have to watch out. Each one of us has preferences and things where we have strong convictions about the type of music that is righteous or the type of entertainment. And we just have to watch out for double standards in our own life. I, it's not uncommon that I'll come across someone who puts down a radio station, Caleb. Caleb is just not cool enough for them. And then they'll turn around and tell me about the ungodly, worldly music that they're listening to and how cool it is. And I just go... Okay, this one's not cool enough. It's not quite Christian enough for you. And then you got a bunch of garbage over here. Really? Is that a standard that has a little bit of a, a plank going on? Sometimes people will be like, you know, that, that TV program has words that you shouldn't use or it has scenes that you shouldn't use. And sometimes people can really lay down the law with you. I can't believe you watched that program. 
while at the same time they would not be forthcoming about a struggle with pornographic materials in their life. And they would really want to say, oh, I can't believe you're doing that. Bring judgment on music or entertainment and then have this whole other world of immorality going on where uh, pornography is a master of their lives. And we just have to watch out for it. I don't know what that is in your life. I think each one of us get glimpses of that. But I also think uh, our flesh just naturally is blind to our own sin. So just, I would encourage you each to just take time to, if there's something you're coming down strong, you have a judgment on people around you about, you might investigate and make sure there's, there's nothing of that plank in your own eyes here. And we can just look over that, you know, when you get a chance next time, the next quiet time or something here. Um, we'll keep on going here. Look at this next verse. Um, you know, he goes on to say, by the way, when you have a plank and you're trying to pull out something, you know, he says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And so the point I would make out of this is just we need to avoid the hypocrisy of, of having a real one standard on one area for someone else and having a very much more gracious standard for ourselves. And we've got to watch out. It's a real hypocrisy. Now, there's two options when it comes to this type of hypocrisy. You know, instead of uh, trying to help pull a speck out of someone's eye and deal with our log, we have two options, two ways about avoiding hypocrisy. One is this. Don't call anyone on their sin ever. Hey, look, you got sin, they got sin. Let's just leave good enough alone. You know, why bother them? I don't bother them. They won't bother me. And in some ways, I guess you can, you know, deal with hypocrisy that way. Hey, I'm not calling anyone on something I'm not doing. We're just all in sin together. Um, now, another option is that we could actually remove sin from our lives. And I don't know if you catch the same thing out of this passage as I do, but it seems like that would be Jesus' instruction. Hey, don't be hypocrites. Remove your sin and then help your brother out here. Uh, I think we live in a world that there's a, an error going on in our culture, and our culture doesn't think you should engage in, with correcting anyone. You know, don't judge lest you be judged, except for the culture judges anyone who doesn't think the same way as they think, so it's kind of this double standard right off the bat, but... Um, I think sometimes we can be more afraid of being culturally correct. I would say politically correct, but uh, it's not all tied to politics. We can be more concerned about being correct in the eyes of our culture than in the eyes of God, than being morally correct. And so we've got we've to watch out for this error that's really strong in our culture right now. Um, so again, Jesus said, remove our sin first, then help our brothers out. Um, it, that's not just leave well enough alone. And, and I just want to speak to this point here for a second. Uh, I love uh, how the Living Bible puts this phrase here. You know, it says, hypocrite, first get rid of the board, then you can see to help your brother. And, you know, really, uh, Jesus called us to be disciples. He called us to make disciples. You know, Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is one of our uh, trademark verses of Great Commission churches. And he's called us to go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, you know, a lot of that means that we're going to have to help people obey the things that Jesus taught. And we probably have to, if we're going to have to help them obey something, we've probably got to make sure we've been obeying that in our life, and then we're to help them. And that's how you make disciples. Now, if you, you know, you just want to follow Jesus, you just want to be a Christian, and you don't really want to grow as a disciple or help others, then this might not relate to you. But our church, we want to be disciples, and we want to help make disciples, and so we have to engage in helping other people. I remember one guy that was a part of our college group uh, 
few years back. You know, uh, I've been a pastor in Fort Collins for a while, and then we sent a team down to Denver. But over the years, we've had different sized college groups. Currently, our college group is of a size zero. Um, and same up in the Highlands there. there. There's no one in the college group. There's singles group, and we've got teens group. But um, but this one point, I remember this guy who would come into meetings, uh, and he would just light up a room. And, and he didn't light up the room in the way you might think he lit up a room. It wasn't his personality. It was his smell. And this guy would come into a room, and he had not been in the habit when he grew up of showering, of cleaning himself, of wearing deodorant. And so this guy who we loved and shared the good news about Jesus with was a part of our church. And when he came into a room, you knew it, and it was not pleasant. And so as a pastor, sometimes when you try to help people, you get to engage with those awkward conversations that might help someone grow in character and life. And, um, and so I just remember me and a friend of his sitting down and just talking to him through, hey, buddy, we love you, and you're welcome to be a part of this family, but it would be a blessing. It would be, you'd love your neighbors a lot if you showered on occasion, if you showered and if you put deodorant on. And this friend of his who I was working with took him to the store and bought him some deodorant and things like that. And it was, you know, this is not just a little thing. This smell was, it was a smell that like if you were visiting a church and, and you smelled this guy, you would likely not come back. There was a time that I was thinking I would not come back, except that I was the pastor and I had to come back. Um, my buddy had to give him rides all over the place. But eventually we helped him and he's like, you know what, I want to be a part of this and I want to grow. And this is not necessarily a moral issue, um, but he began to change and grow. But the only reason he did is because someone loved him enough to help him. And, and I share that with you not because, you know, we want, we want you to smell the person next to you and make sure they're qualified to be here. Um, you know, some might say, well, that's a cultural thing. In other cultures, it's great to smell like that. Well, this culture, it's not. But I'm not sharing this with you to have a cultural standard. I'm, I think the reality is, as Christ followers, you know, the Bible talks about there's a fragrance that Jesus has. And to those who are being saved, the fragrance is a, a, a pleasing aroma. And to those who are, are not being saved or going to heaven, they don't like the smell of Christ or Christians. But as a church family, we want to, um, I think we want to buy into the idea of being a, a fragrant family of Christ followers. And the way we do that is not just having to do with whether you scrub or what type of soap you use, the way we do that is living in line with God's Word, living in line with the Word of Christ. And as our lives are in line with Him, we become the fragrance of Christ. We're more loving, we're more considerate, we're more gracious, we're more merciful. Areas that we aren't in line with God's Word are areas where we, in some ways, start to stink. You know, Christ is selfless. He's the ultimate in selfless love. And when we are not like him, we are selfish. And selfishness stinks in God's eyes. Selfishness stinks in community. And our hope as a family is just to be a group that we're trying to follow Christ together. We're trying to help each other out. I love this idea of removing the plank and then getting to the specs. You know, a lot of times when, when people join a church family, I, I like the idea of just what's the biggest fish to fry in this person's life? Let's start with the biggest thing. And then you work your way down to details. Maybe body odor is just a little detail. Maybe there's bigger moral fish to fry here. But, um, you know, that's really what we are as a church. And I, and I hope you catch that. I hope you want to grow. This next, this last verse we're going to look at, I think, speaks to that. Um, let's, uh, let's look at this one here. You know, it says this. 
Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. And so, you know, it's just something to think about here. We're called to share the gospel with people. We're called to share God's word with one another, to teach people to grow as disciples who obey everything Jesus commanded. And, and we have to have some good judgment about that. We have to have some discernment about that. Um, there are people out there that are resistant to anything to do with Jesus. There are people that are, uh, get angry, that don't, don't want you to bring the good news about Jesus to them. And, and you know what this says here? We have to be aware of that. Don't give what is sacred to dogs. Don't put your pearls before swine or before pigs. Um, and sometimes that, that's the gospel. I don't think there's some, anything more precious we can offer to people. But there's some people that just would not have it, don't want to have anything to do with that. And we have to go, well, you know, this might be one of those times where I tried and there's such resistance, such uh, anger, persecution, opposition that comes from that. Maybe I'm not going to share this with that person. Some would say this, this speaks to the idea of breaking bread or taking communion. You know, it's like this is the most precious thing in the Christian faith. It represents what Jesus did for us. And, and maybe those who don't believe shouldn't share in on this. And there, there's different debates over that, but just something to think about. This week I felt like I had an incident of something like this. Uh, when I'm out knocking on doors, most of my knocking on doors has been a good experience. I think my door count, uh, you know, my goal in 90 days is to knock on 4,000 doors, uh, kind of the closest doors to this neighborhood here. I'm about uh, 1,500 doors into it. But this week I had one of the most challenging experiences I've had yet, knocking on doors. And this one house, and I went up to it, and you know, it's happened a couple times kind of like this, but uh, some of them have the garage out front, and you have to walk past the garage, and you go down this long sidewalk to the door. So I walk down there, and eventually I get there, I see the no soliciting sign, you know, I'm trying to decide, okay, what do I want to do here? But I hear someone from behind me say, hey, what are you doing? You know, he came out of the garage, and I'm like, well, you know, does he have guns or something? I don't know. Um, but, but he was, he's like, you know, it says no soliciting. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm not selling anything. And he's like, I don't care. And he just went on. And I, he's like, you're, you're, you're trying to sell your religion. You're trying to, I was like, sir, I'm not selling anything. I'm offering free prayer for people. And I was putting on my most friendly face, which is this one right here. Um, and, you know, uh, I was just trying to be gracious. And, and the guy started swearing at me. And he said some things that I will not repeat to you here. And... And I left that environment, and, and at the time, I was thinking about this message, Lord, what does it mean to not throw your pearls? And, and literally, within minutes of this verse that I was thinking about, I interacted with this guy, and it gave me the message, you know, there are some people who no matter how friendly you are, and no matter what good you would offer to them, don't, don't do that. I think if I'd have stayed around longer, I, I got a sense this guy would get violent with me. And, um, but it just... You know, it says here, be careful because they would turn and, and tear you to pieces. And there are situations like that we have to have discernment about and uh, good judgment related to that. And it was funny because I kept walking. I'm like, all right, this is the first time and however many doors. And thank you, Lord, that we got 1,000 doors and 1,500. And this is the first time this has happened. But he yells at me as I'm going down the street. He's like, and that lady doesn't want to talk to you either. You know, the next house I was going to. And so I just kept going and, and I went up to that door and, she didn't have any no soliciting, and I knocked, and she came to the door, and um, she was extremely friendly and, and extremely sweet, and I asked her, you know, is there anything I could pray for you? I'm praying for the neighbors, and she's like, yes, I have spine issues, and my back is in pain, and 
Uh, she's explained it to me. And so, you know, as I left, I, I prayed for her. And at the time, I, I showed up, and she was choking on something. She came to the door. She's like, I'm choking on a pill. And so she went inside and got a drink. And I'm thinking, am I going to have to do the Heimlich on her or something here? And uh, she came back out. I, I was like, you're all right? She's like, I'm fine. She's like, I would have told you if I needed the Heimlich. And so, um, but anyways, real sweet experience. And I went on knocking on doors. And I kept, you know, I still had adrenaline from that guy swearing at me and all that. But I came back down the road uh, later after I'd finished going all the way down the block, and he was there, and he was talking to the neighbor lady, and his back was turned to me, and so I just kind of kept walking, and I saw the lady, real sweet smile, and she waved, and I waved, and, and I kept going there. But, um, you know, I, I think, again, we just have to watch out for not casting our, our pearls before swine, before those who would turn and trample on us here. The other way this applies is that within believers, you know, as believers, you and I, when someone maybe wants to come alongside us, someone who maybe is spiritually either responsible for helping us grow as disciples or someone who's in our life who has good for us, sometimes someone will come alongside us and say, hey, I've noticed this area in your life, and, you know, this is what the Bible says you should be doing, and I noticed you're consistently doing this, and, uh, you know, what's going on here? How can I help you? Or, you know, sometimes we can approach it by change that we've gone through in our lives. You know, I know... When, before I was a Christian and I was claim, claiming the verse, don't judge me, I had a lot of struggles with drunkenness, with alcohol abuse. And, and I had no self-control when it came to that. And God turned my life around in that. And I had struggles with lust and pornography. And I had struggles with, um, uh, you know, uh, I had struggles just with my faith. Like, am I going to heaven when I die or not? And God has helped turn around each one of those areas in my life. And I love to come alongside one, someone who has some of the same symptoms, and share with them what someone shared with me and helped me do that. And, but I realized early on as a believer, if someone was going to come and give input into my life, you know, when I became a Christian, I was almost 25 years old, and I had a lot of patterns and things, opinions about life. And I remember when people started coming alongside with me and saying, you know, you probably shouldn't relate to women the way that you do there, and you probably need to be more respectful, more honoring. And... Um, or, you know, they had just different things about keeping my word. I'd make a promise to do this and that, and I didn't follow through. And, you know, you ought to grow in saying what you mean and meaning what you say. And we talked about that in Matthew chapter 6. But um, people helped me. But I realized early on that I could go, you know what? I got a different take on that verse. And I think don't judge me because uh, you're going to be judged. And, and I realized that I could have had an opinion about everything. But you know what? I wanted to grow. I wanted to become more like the people who were giving me input. And I made a choice to yield my opinion, to yield my attitude, and let them speak into my life. And, and realize, I might not see eye to eye on this, but it's my thoughts that got me where I am now. And I want change. And I don't want to be stuck here. And, and God began changing me and changing my character. And as a church, that's what we're all about. We want to help people. We want to help them get to heaven and know for sure they're going to go to heaven when they die. We want to help them... Uh, love others like Jesus has called us to and, and obey his word but you and I have to decide are you willing to let someone speak into your life or do you got it figured out you know and I think the longer that we are Christians the more we can get set in our ways and our views and our thoughts I'm reminded of this verse in Ecclesiastes here that um, you know, it says this uh, Ecclesiastes 4.13, the New American Standard puts it, I think, the clearest on this, but it says, A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. 
A poor yet wise lad is better than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to receive instruction. And I think the longer you and I are Christians, I think the more likely we are to have hardened our thoughts about things in areas maybe that we need change. We go, you know what, I, I don't buy that verse. I understand it differently. Or um, I've been a Christian for longer than you, so who are you to tell me I should change in that? And, and we have to watch out. There's another, uh, there's so many verses that speak to this. One of the ones I wrote down here was from Proverbs uh, Proverbs chapter 9, verses 7 through 9. And you see two different responses to, to input. And, and one says this. It says, whoever corrects a mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. I remember the first time I heard a, this verse taught up was a, my pastor up in Fort Collins, John Meyer. He was teaching about, as Christians, we want to grow in obeying God's word, and you have to decide if you can let input into your life. And John, he said something that just shocked me. He said, I love when people correct me. He said, I love it because I know I can grow, and I know there's something good that can come from it. And I was listening for the first time as a young believer going, I hate when people correct me. I don't want them speaking into my life. But he was talking about the difference between your spirit you know, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've been born again, you have been made a new creation. You've got a new life. And something in your spirit goes, yes, this is good for me. I don't want to hear what they're saying right now, but this is really good for me. Our flesh goes, I hate this. Get away from me. And you and I have to decide who's going to call the shots, your flesh or your spirit. You want to follow Jesus or do you not? Do you want to grow and have life to the fullest like he promises or not? And, and my hope is that each one of us would reevaluate. How are we doing? at receiving input from others in our lives. And especially if we've been Christians for a long time, uh, if there are things that we have hardened our heart to that maybe God would like us to revisit and soften to him again. And um, really, I'd love to invite you just to join in this journey here of the Firehouse Church family of being a fragrant family of Christ followers.